Let's launch a probe into it. We should destroy the probe. Phasers are armed and ready. Hello and welcome to Class L Probe Augmented Reality. This is the show where we take topics from our other show, Debate 9, and we dive deeper because we only get a minute to discuss them on that other show. And some of these things need to be discussed at much greater length. Um, we, are your, uh, we are your hosts, Devin and Dave, a.k.a. Plain Simple Tailors, and along with us as always on this show, co-founder of this show. Oh, I get a co-founder. Yeah, you're co-founder right. of this show, Adam Woodward. Nice to see you guys. Hello, everybody. Yeah, Happy nice to see you. you. Happy New Year to you both. It's been a, too long since the last time. I think it was summertime when the last time we did this. I think it was. Oh, too long. Yeah, summer early fall, summer early fall. Yeah. Launching probes into things. <laughs> that should be done regularly, I tell you. He does love a good probe. <laughs> <laughs> Just the class L's. The other ones, you know, I don't know about those. So, you know, fellas, we should probably just jump right into this, maybe. Sure. Uh, sure. Where do we want to start? Wanna... Well, uh, let's start with the, the deep ones. I think Dave's got the, the deepest one to talk about. Oh, I, uh, that question jumped right out. When we went over. We've got quite <clears throat> right. a substantial list at this point, you know. Uh, and so that one escaped my notice the first time I went through, but I read back up from the bottom and I thought, oh, man, it's a good one. Okay. So, so you got a slide for this? this? Great. Yeah, that's right. So this is a question. I don't know who originally me... proposed it. Yeah. Uh huh. Actually, one second. Let's let's okay. let's launch this probe. We gotta launch this probe first. Okay. Well, I'm glad we did that. Oh, sorry. That, that was I'm not still glad we did let that. Me, let me try, let me try that again. Okay. Okay. Right. No explosion. No Go explosion ahead. this time. Shapers. <laughs> <laughs> Having trouble passing that probe. Uh, uh, I think I, I launched it at a moon or something. That first time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, is the Federation ban on augments a mistake? Uh, this one caught my eye because it's, um, it's a really interesting piece of pretty solid Star Trek lore. Uh, ever since Khan showed up, really, right? I think is the first significant treatment we get of this theme. Uh, but it's returned again and again. It's had a whole story arc in Enterprise. It's uh, had a story arc uh, or two uh, uh, or several in Deep Space Nine. Um, even a couple of interesting treatments on Next Generation, one with the, the augmented soldiers who live on a, a moon. Hopefully you didn't just shoot that one. Uh, of their home planet because they can't return home and some others. Uh, but the Federation's ban on augment goes right back to 20, 20th century and 21st century Earth in that history. Uh, and honestly, I think it's a really fascinating um, positive commitment that was made really early on in the original series that like deserves further scrutiny just as a turn against essentially against eugenics. And it's interesting too, because 
it's just so harsh and it seems it's been there for so long without really any revisions that we know of and that that just seems a little un-Starfleet. Well, I mean, I guess it's... Is it, a, is it a Federation or a Starfleet band? It's a Starfleet band, right? Or is it a... Federation? Uh, well, no, I guess better, you can't... Uh, it's an Earth and a Starfleet band, as far as I know. <clears throat> yeah, you can't... The Federation couldn't ban that, I I don't imagine. Because, uh, yeah, I suppose know, maybe not. I, I actually I struggle with that. this question a lot, because this goes beyond Star Trek, and, and you know, you think... Uh, in, to me, it's Gattaca. Okay. You know, you think I just rewatched that movie on my other movie podcast. It's such a great movie. Oh, it was you know? terrible. I loved it. I absolutely loved it because <laughs> I, I love the question. And, and you know, it comes back to the whole it's, thing. It, it had some good questions. It just did. Yeah. It didn't, but it's anyway. the same question we're answering tonight, you know, is that do we have the right to, to look at our offspring and make them better, essentially? Like, you know, I mean, you know... I would, I would not hesitate if I could take a cancer gene out of my kid's future oh, yeah. mm-hmm. or fix my son's eyes so he doesn't have to wear glasses, you know, um, before they're born. I, I love that. They do allow some amount of it for medical use as far as like fixing defects and things. But the, the challenge is where do you stop? Yeah. So they, they had right. to draw a line somewhere. It's not like it is a complete ban on all that type of science. No, no, no. I think there's all sorts of genetic therapies and all sorts of in vitro therapies and all sorts of things they'll do. Absolutely. And I think those are essentially, as Davin pointed out, to correct for what would be essentially um, life shortening or life ending uh, developmental problems, right? But when we get to the question of augments here, we're getting to, um, yeah, that other side of the question of better, I think. Because I think you make a good point, Adam, about the sense of, like, I want to make, I immediately right now want life to be better for my children than it was for me, right? And, I, you know, I've had a pretty decent life, but I still want my kid's life to be better, more happy, more peaceful than mine, you know? Uh so why wouldn't we carry that over there? I think the other question, though, is to what degree do we understand better? And Trek certainly poses that question in a way that I think is authentic by posing it in the form of uh, thinking about a superiority uh, problem, you know? And uh, On that, behalf of the, right, the augments themselves. Well, but that that these these kinds of questions, um, unless extremely constrained in terms of how we allow ourselves to explore them, um, lead toward essentially the problem of eugenics opening again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now they're, cer- they're certainly like shaken and a little rattled a bit by the whole war eugenics war they had over the thing so there's that mm-hmm. that's an earth problem like starfleet's not just earth though it is certainly a like a majority partner you could say um, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's 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 interesting that they were able to you know press that onto the rest of starfleet well i think certainly and i think probably i mean this may well come out of roddenberry's own convictions right in the late 60s right because i mean eugenics there 
and much more clearly understood than now, uh, was certainly in the late 60s and before that understood as deeply connected to fascism, right? Uh, and a lot of the excesses of um, fascist regimes either in Italy or Spain or uh, Germany or perhaps elsewhere, right? So I think there's part of the Federation's hardness, and I think you're right to recognize that, Devin, part of the Federation's hardness against the very question of eugenics is precisely, I think, a commitment arising from that post-war generation as well, right? Which understands that the birth of eugenics is like very closely aligned with the birth of fascism um, and that they're, they're not far from each other. They're very next door neighbors in many ways. Right. Now, because they, they, they think that by augmenting some part of the person, you sort of augment all of the person as far as ambitions and aggression and all these types sure. of things. But, or that they end up uh, like unable to quite interact with society like uh, Jack and them on uh, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. But yeah. now that they've had examples of successful augmentation like Dr. Bashir, mm-hmm. you know, do you revisit it now? Now do they revisit it? See, I think that examples of it working. That's one person, and yeah, yeah, and I think that once you get the collective together, and now you've got somebody or a group that feels like they're better than everybody else, and then that other group has to be oppressed in some fashion. um, That's when we get into trouble, or like literally, ought not exist because they're not the right kind, right? Like Julian Bashir in his early life was, as far as the story sounds um, perhaps developmentally delayed, perhaps intellectually disabled in some respects. Uh, but does that re- mean he doesn't have the right to exist, you know, or that his existence is somehow a mistake just in the sense that the augments pose the question, I think in a wonderful science fiction way, like the other augments from that Institute pose it in the opposite side where they're like well are these people's existence a mistake somebody made them they didn't ask to get made what do we do with them now right how do we afford these people who have been created a life i think it highlights beautifully the two sides of that problem right like these people are being locked away in the same way that that people with certain kinds of disabilities used to be put in sanatoriums or that sort of thing right but you know in real life situations today as you're saying this, I, and I'm thinking about that, that next gen episode too, where you had the super soldiers. But mm-hmm. isn't the entire military that way when they come back and they're ignored or not funded properly? And you know, uh, you know, we hear nothing but negative stories out of Afghanistan. That uh, uh, that's and the other. Uh, I don't know where all America's been, but everywhere else they've been. Mm-hmm. You know, terrible suicide rates. No, no. Um, support structure you know it, it seems wow we've created like i mean i don't super soldier or not a soldier's a, a better like they're better fit they're better armed they know things the rest of us don't and now you have that culture now coming back um, mm-hmm. you know yeah 
Yeah, and I think, you know, in the sense of that kind of institutionalized life, a kind of sequestered life, um, the transition of, you know, people who've been in correctional situations back into society can be equally yes. traumatic, even for the person coming out, right? Uh, who really has very few skills of living in the kind of community they left perhaps many years before at this point. Um you know, we have certain kinds of determinate limits on sentencing in Canada, which means that, um, you know, we're not necessarily very often locking people up for more than 25 or 30 years. But that's still, I mean, anywhere up to that is still an awful long time to be out of community, right? Um, yeah, these are really interesting questions about, you know, how people become, in some sense, fully human again after they haven't been or how they may fall away from that uh valuation there, there was i was at the um ottawa war museum back in the summertime and i'm fascinated by this question i know we're getting off off of um we're going on a tangent tangent here but is that you get the, they had this whole section in there about the reintegration of all the uh world war ii soldiers where you had this huge mobilization going over to europe and, and then coming back but it doesn't seem like they were given a pamphlet and said, here's how you integrate back into society, go. Um, but there you had such a massive part of society coming back in. I think it was a little different, but uh, it's just mm -hmm. very interesting to me is because, Davin, you said it, and this is why I'm down this path, is that they didn't choose to be this way. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, yes, you choose to be a soldier, not in Canada particularly, but regardless, you don't know how things are going to end up. Sure. And I think, I mean, interestingly, if you look at the history of soldiers after the First and Second World War, particularly the Second World War, there were both in the United States and in Canada, um, huge things like housing and education incentives, um, work programs, all sorts of stuff that um, did an enormous amount of that integration work by giving people avenues to... Uh, throw themselves into in some ways, right? And, and places to find a stable spot to be. There's a really interesting history here in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia about housing collectives that grew up post-war where individual neighborhoods would actually build each other's houses from these kind of like kits that pieces would be delivered, right? And these folks lived beside each other for 45, 50 years. Uh, and they're all this crazy community because they literally built each other's houses together. Um, so there were, a, yeah, fascinating structural incentives at that time, which I think, you know, you rightly identify as not being anywhere nearly so much in play today. Yeah. You know, I was listening. Do you guys see the movie Greyhound? Yeah. No. It's, it's worth watching. It, it's, it's World War II. He's a captain of a destroyer that escorts uh, convoys back and forth. Anyway, okay. he, was, he was doing a podcast with Dan Carlin, if you know him. He's the... Um, Oh, hardcore history, yeah. Yes, hardcore history, yeah. Anyway, so Dan Carlin was asking about the movie, and but they, they got into this tangent <laughs> about veterans coming back, and, and and they were talking about Lee Marvin, who was in the war, and, and because he was a oh, movie yeah. star, and he was brought up to be, like you know, perceived to be this great, you know, guy who pl he plays in the movies, and he said, I was nothing like that. I got shot in the ass. But what Tom Hanks goes is, like, it was this, you know, who a real hero, you know, I don't know, it was uh, Lee Marvin who said, the real hero was the guy, the marshal on the beach. No guns, no hmm. weapons. All you had to do was get the landing craft on. And that turned out to be the guy who played Captain Kangaroo they were talking about. 
Um, wow. And now why mm-hmm. I say that is that there was just so many people come back together that everybody had an experience. Mm-hmm. Shared, shared mm-hmm. in some fashion, you know, anyway, it was just a, I think, I think that yeah, also yeah. makes the difference, but anyway, sorry, completely off. Yeah. Well, oh, that's really interesting. Like, point. Cause it's funny. Cause you see how certain characters in Starfleet, like, you know, Maddox or like, mm-hmm. well, him specifically to positronic brains, but you know, there, you'd think there would be people within the Admiralty that would be all about creating human data. Because basically that's what they could do with augmentation. They could get that data for every mm-hmm. ship, but he's just your like third officer and he's an augment and he can he has a computer brain and he's good enough. Fight. Right. Like, right. Um but and I think you know, we see some of that in, in a doc there's a there's a Dr. Pulaski episode where she's aging very quickly, and I think so is the rest of the crew, where they've attempted to do that out on a very far outpost. So it seems like that impulse is still somewhere in the Federation, right? And still even among human scientists, right? Like that impulse is hard to root out because we want things to improve and we do want things to be like technically, we want ourselves to improve. Like I want to get better at stuff that I'm not as good at as I'd like to be. Like there's a certain reasonable logic to that. Uh, well, but yeah, is that it's, not what it's, Picard it's, says like, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I'm interested to see where you're going with this. Well, well, he's just like, where, what does he say to Lily in First Contact? We're here to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. Like, augmentation seems to be like the most technical form of that. So you just you'd think there'd be like a lot of that impulse in Starfleet and in the Federation, really. Well, I mean, I guess that's an Earth sentiment. But... It, that, yeah. that, somewhere along the line, people really feel uncomfortable with how far you go. You know, mm-hmm. like, like for, for say, I want to better myself and I want to eat better and I want to be more healthy in my back half of my life than I have in the first half, you know, is that an augmentation? <laughs> Probably in some fashion, but every, you're okay with that. Everybody's going to be fine with that. But if I was to go yeah. and get super intelligence and, you know, start thinking I could take over the world, then you might have a problem. Or taking a bunch of steroids. What, the, for what about, what about the super intelligence without the taking over the world? Would that bother people? It, it seems it seems like that's the, the they go together. You know, Blade Runner is another example of that. You know, mm-hmm. Bashir, he doesn't want. Well, Blade Runner also has that wonderful people theme. Still begrudge him for his augmentation somewhat. So it's like, do people just not want somebody to be artificially better than them, regardless of taking over the world? Well, I think we're still encountering the language problem they're using of better, right? Uh, what yeah. exactly do we mean by better? And when well, we're interested in that language, mm-hmm. what are we actually up to? But you go back to the you know, um, icon, and you know he he, he thinks he's, he's better. He thinks he's better, superior, mentally, he and physically. Thinks he's better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think he can he can put sort of uh, like his money where his mouth is in some ways, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I think I ran like, over you, Adam. It, I'm, no, I'm sorry. I was getting done there. I just think, oh. I, you know, I guess you know, in the in the Star Trek, in the science fiction world, you always see the the swing to the other side. Like, if I'm better than you, then I have to be the fascist that Dave was just talking about. You know, along the way, and it's, I think it's because of the fear of just normal people that there will be a society greater or bigger than them. Um, 
stronger than them, smarter than them. And then what happens then is division of labor. And here we are, slave race. Mm -hmm. You know, is it that or is that do you think that's the reason for how harsh the ban is and how long it's lasted? Or do you think it is like the fear of an like an arms race? Like you say, I'll make myself this much more strong and intelligent. It's just like, well, I'll do it this much, and then I'll do it this much, and then all of a sudden it's just like, what? what's left? Is everyone Incredible Hulk with, like, the leader's <laughs> brain? Like, Well, I don't think you could leave that out in that kind of a context, right? If everybody's got that kind of crazy ability to manipulate their bodies, the the Suleban demonstrating that like, in classic fashion, right? Or the Borg, right? The, like you're the right. Board like board that, board. that question of an arms race can't be left out of it. Yeah. I think that'd have to be an ingredient in there somewhere for sure. Listen, Dave says, but if you're better than modern humans, then you would actually be above the notion of having to rule over others. So they are still Again, perfect. What yeah. does better mean? What do you but, mean by better here? But here's the thing is that, and this is where I longer, I, faster. I do agree with a ban smarter. or at least a limitation and of things that can happen is look, we keep seeing it in our history you know, when, when, when culture defines itself as better as the other, what do you get? You, you get a, a, a subclass, you get a sort of slave race, you get, you know, problems that just go into decades and decades, hundreds of years later, we're still dealing with issues. But, you know, this is where I, I have the personal challenge of it is like, you know, here, here, I think this is a good analogy, you know, an Olympic person who takes the steroids, you know, versus a normal guy. Steroids, Right. Mm -hmm. So either I participate, I just, you know, participate in that so I can compete properly or I'm not going to compete. So, you know, you're, you're in order to make myself better and stronger and able to compete, I have to, I have to alter something. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm not a fan. And that starts up in those arms races do happen with sports and steroids. Sure. You know, you got to get the, the best juice. <laughs> the one that can't be the secret juice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Denobula didn't have any problem with augments. They they do that sort of thing all the time. Flock said in an Enterprise episode, and like there's no That's juice, interesting. But they, but they collectively somehow never ran amok with it and never created like weird superhumans. They just use it for like more medical purposes, mm-hmm. but probably for like mild enhancements or something, who knows? Well, it's an interesting point because it, it could also be that that is like the tendency toward like eugenic fascism may be an, an endemically human problem. It may be endemic to certain species, right? Or with certain kinds of histories. Um, but it certainly seems to be an endemically human problem. Yeah. That like we can't seem to get that piece uh, straight whenever we try and go for all the other bits that look so appealing in it, you know? Now, can you ban augmentation, but maybe not ban augments? Because as we said, they didn't ask to be augments. Even Khan, even the worst of augments, didn't ask to be an augment. So well, That's a great question, right? And then it enters the know, gene are, pool. Apparently, there are, we don't know how many are up there, but, you know, there's Jack and Admiral Patrick, mm-hmm. as he calls himself, and, like... Uh, we name Loren or something. Loren, Loren, Sarnia, Delt, Douglas. Yeah. I'm just looking at the list here. Ethan, yeah. Locken, yeah, and yeah. Kelly. So, like, people are out there doing it. Oh yeah. So, uh, and I mean, that's, once the uh, once the genie's out of the bottle, that way it's hard to stop people doing it. You know, 
uh, I mean, look, like Julian's parents got it done to him. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, and he got that's a really interesting question. But his father, like, how, how do you properly, you know, uh, either compensate or, or, or make room for somebody? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't well, seem to have hurt Bashir that badly in the end. Uh, uh, well, but luckily, he had a pretty illustrious career. He did have a good career. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fine doctor. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Fine bedside manner. Unlike maybe one of the doctors we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, well, as is tradition on this show, fellas, we should we have to answer this question: Is the Starfleet mm. ban on augments a mistake? Who'd like to go first? I'll go first. I, I don't believe it's all a right. mistake at all. Uh, I, I think that we don't know all about it, and I think there's probably, to your point, you know, I, I can fix my physical problems, but I can't do more than that or whatever it might be mm-hmm. um you know and again i just think you know the whole core of the federation is equality and 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 once you can engineer somebody into something else it's it just feels off to me it doesn't feel like equal hmm. so it's, it's interesting even without like the fear of kind of like taking over the world and someone doing you harm because they're enhanced, there's still like this. There is this like not liking some artificial advantage given to somebody else. Like that's certainly the sports example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, and I think yeah. again, the, the other side of that is the Pandora's box example that we were taught, or side of it too that we were talking about, right? Like once we're once we're willing to do that, what else becomes possible, right? I think it's yeah, and. And I mean, in some ways, those are two sides of the same coin because that's that also describes an arms race, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it, it's it's definitely not a mistake in the end. I agree because of the arms race thing. If you could somehow guarantee that it wouldn't get insanely crazy, I think you could find maybe find a way to make it work. But yeah, I I think they got it right on there, Starfleet. Maybe they should revisit it a little bit. I don't know because it seems like an old one. It's been sticking around mm. a while. But uh, so this is speaking of cranky doctors (laughs) or bedside manner, I suppose. Let me let's launch another probe here, fellas. We're good. We're good. All right. right, So would Dr. Pulaski have been a better doctor for the next generation than Dr. Crusher if she had stayed beyond season two? Now, may I interrupt you for one second, Adam? I'm very curious on why you picked this one because when I often I'm glad you did. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. But like I look at that list of DS or debate nine debates, and I'm like in my mind, there's like some really kind of deeper philosophical ones, and then there's sort of the ones we just have fun debating, and that's this kind of what the category I put this one in. But yeah, we, it's, it's true. I'm curious I, of where you want to go with this. I knew Dave would go heavy because he does. <laughs> But you didn't quote one philosopher tonight, I must say. Um, Wait for it. Yeah, so far. So yeah, far. I got a good... Yeah. So, what did Plato uh, say about Dr. Pulaski? Jerk face. <laughs> jerk face. Anyway, go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Listen, you know, I, this is my, my... You know, as a kid, I remember watching the original series. Um, I'm, I'm just, just over 50, 51 right now. So he gives my age. But <clears throat> Next Gen for me was... I was in grade 13, 12 or 13 when it popped out. And 
I remember watching the, the pilot and thinking, now this is something great. And then, but not really sure, especially when the ship separated and like that. But, you know, I got on. So I spent a lot of time in Next Gen watching week to week in those days when you had to wait for the episodes and your, cliff, your cliffhanger. Hanger, uh, here we go. There's Dave's comment already. Pulaski's different, but not better. Um, now, so first season comes around, not really loving it yet, but it was good. Uh, and then season two came along and we, well, who, what's the change? Well, we've got um, Crusher gone for some reason and and Diana Mulder in, uh, who played. Oh, she was in the original series twice, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. She, Miranda Jones, and then she played the highest ranking female officer, um, Dr. Ann Mar Marshall. She was a, a lieutenant commander. She wasn't in the original episode with Khan, was she? No. No, that's somebody. Okay, that's somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Um, can't remember her name, but anyway, long and short, great, great actress. She's got his. She's got history with this, with the, with the, um, the franchise. So, she wasn't pretty, like everybody else. Like she wasn't a Doctor well, Crusher. She wasn't but Deanna Troy. She, she certainly was in those TOS episodes. Very. Yeah, she was. She was a very attractive. She was certainly a, mm -hmm. a very lovely, a lovely lady. It's just her I, I hair did. was very. Yeah. Like, it was very sixties. Oh, I mean, in the uh, oh, in the in yes, TNG. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, they could have made her but, prettier if they wanted to. They just didn't go that route with the character. Right. It was odd seeing, um, you know, the the, ca the medical officer in actually uniform. She was she wore one versus Crusher wore the jacket all the time. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think the first couple episodes there was definitely some crustiness to her. They were trying to link her back to McCoy. But she mm -hmm. got out of that really fast. For only being one season in the show, I thought her character really evolved over that time. They had that stupid thing where she called data data, and didn't it just didn't seem natural for a doctor to do that? But they got out of that fast enough. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that was good. What I liked about her <clears throat> over Crusher was she challenged the captain. It wasn't a personal relationship from years years gone. Um, so she's new to the crew. She can she's got a different standing with everybody, so she can challenge more. Um, you know, <laughs> didn't have that trust. She seemed like everyone, you know, and then when we saw her operate, like example on, um, horse back, remember when he was mm -hmm. back or he had the three hearts or something, he, she did something, but she just seemed mm -hmm. like a more, it wasn't doctor. the back thing. That was, that was crusher and some doctor they brought in. They brought in. Okay. But, but anyway, she just seemed more capable as a doctor, you know, somebody you, you get down there, she's, clearly come through the ranks at, to get a CMO position. She's <clears throat> gritty. You know, I liked it. I liked the fact that she, mm -hmm. to me, somebody on, somebody on the, right. the, 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 the executive staff has to be able to stand up to the captain. And really nobody in that room did. Even Riker. He was very mm -hmm. much a yes. Worf sometimes, but. I protest. <laughs> yeah. Nobody but, listened to him. So it didn't. No, but, but they listened to her. And, you know, mm -hmm. at the time, I think I liked Captain, or Dr. Crusher much better. But looking back, I think I liked Dr. Pulaski a lot better. And I really would have liked to see how that would have gone. Now, and I come back to the episode I Borg. And we get to the whole debate about the nanoprobes. And they could have infected the Borg, and that would have been that. And I, I found, at the time, it was great. But, you know, post 9-11 now and everything that's happened since I, you know, I, I can't believe that that crew wouldn't have taken the opportunity to solve the problem. 
you know? And I feel like Dr. Pulaski would have been on that side. You know? You think Dr. Pulaski would have wanted to destroy the Borg? Y yes. Yeah. Because that's not really the way. They usually portray their medical wow. officers as always wanting to... But I, I, it feels like to me, Dr. Pulaski's seen battle. She's been, she's been around the oh, block. So. You know, you know. She hung out with Kyle Riker. Yes, she did. Sure. <laughs> Dumb jet together, whatever it was. So, um, oh, yeah, the, uh, and bo jitsu, bo jitsu. me, that was it. Anyway, and bo -jitsu. full contact and bo jitsu. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, when you look at her, you see a crustiness, you see experience that I don't think mm -hmm. Crusher had. You know, she was such an emotional woman. She, she was crying all the time. And I, I'm not trying to make this a negative pressure thing. I just, there's just a difference, a very, very big difference in, in, in skill set and, and personality. She also sure. had her son on the ship, which kind of made her more vulnerable. Right. Okay, so she's got two people she's like bound by, Picard and, mm. and her son. Like, mm. that's another thing. It's like, I, can she make the, the right decisions, you know, all the time? I don't, don't know if they did. Hmm. And I never liked the story arc of, Picard and Crusher getting together. No, neither did I. Really, it's too weird. Like he, he caused. I mean, ordered her husband to death, basically. <laughs> like, um, yeah. 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 Um. And now the, yeah. it's funny you say that because the one time my favorite Crusher moment is the one time she sort of does stand up to Jean Luc. It's the one where the the the. Uh, naked sex hippies wanted to kill Wesley for crushing their flowers. Oh, yeah. And she just tells John Luke straight up, she's just like, I will not let them kill my son, John Luke. So, like, you can fix this. We're like, we're going to my plan. And, you know, it involves phasers. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't like that. So, I mean, it was a good episode, sort of, but I just. No, it's not watch. a great episode. It's a Wesley Crusher episode, which. He, he shouldn't have had so many. That's a good... Uh, well, it's an episode full of weird failures, right? In interesting ways. I guess the count, if I was to play some counterpoint on that, I mean, you make a lot of good points about Pulaski there. The the thing, the biggest downside, I think, to Pulaski is that she's essentially just lady bones. Ah, it's but just I, bones again. It's just she, bones again. She never had... In the next, very next series. It's like, it's literally the same doctor in the very next series. In a yeah. way, like she's the folksy one. She's the more aggressive one as far as telling people their, her opinion. By the way, are we collecting probe data right now or probe data? <laughs> yes, data. That's that's the question. Yeah. yeah. Cousin Dave says Pulaski would kill the Borg for sure. She phasered her clone with Riker. What did she have a clone? What? Explain yourself, Cousin Dave. I don't <laughs> Oh yeah, in the, in the episode where she's aging like crazy. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They like hybridized oh. a clone of her and Riker up real fast. They spun it up. Uh, I think it's that one. Feel free they to jump on the feed, by the way, if, uh, <laughs> if we're not, we got one uh, more. Not we got right one more to go. Yeah, I, I feel like. Um, um, go ahead, dude. Well, no, for me, uh, I, one of the things I liked was that Pulaski was a very different personality from Crusher. It really set her apart as a character. 
some of the things I didn't like about that personality are what I had problems with overall with the character, right? Was that she was weirdly bigoted about various things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is strange for this future medical person, right? Well, I I found those pieces very, very strange. uh, And almost as though they tried to sort of course correct too much. Uh, Although if she'd stuck around beyond season two, I think she could have offered opportunities to see those edges really strongly challenged in her. Right. Uh, Like she could have had more episodes where data demonstrates that, no, he's a freaking person or where other aliens can demonstrate things. Cause she did seem to have a kind of, uh, like humanocentric bias, oh, you know. So. Deanna takes her to task, you know. I, I, there's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity to bring her back, and you know, over seven seasons, and they never did. It was just too bad, really. Um, yeah, she would have been a great guest star in in various ways, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. maybe it is that it's that very different Doctor Deanna, oh, Thanks, sorry, Doctor Crusher to. Um, to Dr. Kalaski, you know, that, and, and yes, she saw things black and white, uh, which is mm-hmm. a little bit weird. Yes. She was a lot like bones, but they never had the chance really to get her out of that too, Devin. I, you know, it was only one season. Well, that's an, in- was going to be my next uh, question. What did we see as far as character development for Crusher? In Nothing. This- she was the same the- freaking doctor. She started with just older when she finished. The only episode where she showed she's growth. a little less like uh, what's the word? I don't know the word, but she's a little more. She kind of play in the first couple, first season, and maybe even the third season. She kind of plays like more the classic. I don't want to say damsel, but like more a more classic kind of female character where she's listen. Uh, she's an officer. Little... She's an officer, yeah. and you, I never felt like she was in charge. Like hmm. I felt, you know. I, I just, you, you know, for me, Pulaski is in charge. Like she is, she's part of the command crew. She can do stuff. She's definitely got the personality type for it. I just, like Crusher was almost like like uh, Nurse Chapel, like very agreeable, hmm. you know. So I hear you. Uh, well, what do you think they do with Pulaski in five more seasons? Well, it'd be interesting. I, I think that's the problem. Like once you start down that crusty path, you know, you, you're like Bones was another one. He never really changed his character, even through the movies. It's the same guy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm a doctor. Thing, like, not everyone a guy else who on changes that... his character. <laughs> everyone else on that TNG crew like really gets along. Like as far as every probably more than any Star Trek crew in any series before or since, yeah, um, they yeah. really get along. And she was kind of the one thorn in the side of all that. Well, I mean, she joined late, you know, season in. She, uh, yeah, know, you know, she's got to break herself in, and she immediately, you know, alienated herself by calling Data Data. So, <laughs> and double yeah. down on it. Like, what does it matter? It's like, geez, it's like, geez, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> What a nasty it's thing. Not, to it's not a sense. Yeah, actually, that wouldn't have been today. That couldn't have been written. It's just, it's too. Doesn't feel, again, doesn't feel right, you know. But. Yeah. Cousin Dave says Crusher yeah. had a good relationship with all the crew. She bossed Alyssa Ogawa. She commanded the Enterprise when Laura stole data. 
She's a space ghost. She putting that in as a, as a pro? She never bossed Alyssa Ogawa around. She was her best friend. Come on. Well, that's her leadership style. Like, isn't that better for I, medical I, staff? Like, do you I, want everyone on friggin' edge in the med bay because Pulaski's being all grumpy with them? Well, you need them to jump when they need to jump. When there's, you know, when there's, and maybe she had that, but I, I just, I think she was just too nice for a, for a chief medical officer. Too nice, too nice. Is Bashir too nice? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Be, well, good question. Bashir, Bashir's just think, too think... trying to ask you on a date. <laughs> that that's Bashir's medical issue. Let's be straight up with that right away. Crossing personal interpersonal boundaries with patients. I think routinely. Like if you look at the portrayal of any doctors in Star Trek or or any actually just TV itself, you know, especially when they're in the military, they are they're always these renegades, the guys who never follow the rules. And, and you know, it's just it's just an interesting way of looking at things. But the one thing is I guess is that when you look at Pulaski, she's definitely a military person. She's come up through this chain of command. Mm. She she just it feels like she's she could be in a red shirt. I see what you mean. You know. <laughs> yes, yes. Pulaski did Riker's dad. <laughs> yes. That's what I said. Full contact ambo jitsu. Full contact ambo jitsu. Where, where he got good at it. Oh, only that's right. When they, when, <laughs> when, <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Uh, <laughs> well, oh man, yeah. See, I'm I'm a little mixed on this, but what do you think? Should we answer this oh. question, or do you, any final thoughts on this one? I don't know how to answer this question. Ultimately, it would have been a remarkably it, it, different show. It would have been. Yeah, I, would I think she would have had a bigger role. I think she would have had a bigger role. Well, here's mm. it's interesting what you said there, though, Adam, about how. Like doctors tend to be that counterpoint to the, the captain, really. Like they they sort of be more renegade and sort of do their own thing because their their motivations are very different in what they're trying to achieve. Oftentimes, like they don't really care about the mission. Really, they care about their part of the mission, and that's. And they but, also the only ones on the ship that could take captain out of out of out of command. Yeah, that too. That's always fun when that happens. Yeah. Um, Without consulting with anybody else, right? I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Well, they. I don't think so. She may have threatened it once, but that's about it. Yeah, they they have they have a definite power over over the captain. You know, whether it's ever addressed or not, at least they have it. You'd say the writers probably didn't do Crusher any favors. Um, Crusher episodes usually weren't that good, except for um, you know the one where she takes command is really good, and the one where. You know, everything disappears and she ends up in like a micro universe. Oh, that one's crazy. That's, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I like the one where she and Picard are psychically tied together and trying to like do a jailbreak. That's good too. See, that's, that's the thing episode. about her. When when they when they are having more like lighthearted fun moments, I really like Beverly. Because she is that and she kind of comes into her own that way more in the later seasons where she actually does become quite funny. And I never really got That's that true. from Pulaski. Pulaski never made me laugh. She just usually made me angry. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I'll, sorry, I'll, there was one I'll other time. This first. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Yeah, there's just Dave listed a bunch of things that you know Crusher had done well, and the other yeah. thing is that in the final episodes, which were called, I can't remember, um, oh, yeah. all good things, all, all good, good things, things. All and things. you know she was the captain of the past year, which yeah, time, how did she get to be captain? <laughs> I just. It just seemed but it be, was a medical ship, so it may have been yeah, more. I still, I still think you need. I couldn't. Anyway, she went through the main. There's like you. Somebody like, still needs to drive this thing. Like she, and she's a commander. Like she went through that whole division. I remember when Deanna wants to become a commander. Crusher's like, like, yeah, yeah, I did that like a while ago or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah, which was a disaster. Deanna doing that. She should again stay, stay in oh, your man. lane. Yeah, she had ordered poor Jordy hologram to death. Was... Yeah, her heart really wasn't in it at the start of that episode. That's the real trouble, right? She's not really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So oh, go ahead, I'm gonna Adam. say I'm gonna say no. I because I do enjoy the humor that Crusher brings, and Klasky was just. Though I do agree that it would have been nice to have that character to call Picard out a little more. Um, Deanna does that sometimes. She'll call Picardo sometimes, I guess. But there's just no, there's just it's it's just it's a nice caller, you know. Oh, Captain, maybe you should think of it this way rather than you're full of shit. Like, and that's what Pulaski brought. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. she might have used that line once. You're full of shit, Picard. Yeah. Um, but now I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna go no, go fair. heavily yeah. on this one. It yeah. have been a different show. I would agree. It'd been a very different show. Certainly, certain episodes. Yeah, man. I uh, my my answer was going to be like ships have to have more than one doctor, but shows don't have to have more than one doctor. <laughs> so I uh, I think ultimately I, I I prefer Crusher being there, but that may just be because because I know what I what I've seen. Right? I uh, she it would be such a different show with Pulaski around. It'd be really. It'd be really different. Uh, very interesting, though. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess with you know that 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 crew, that executive crew, they were very chain of command. They followed Picard, and, and very rarely did they go against him. And even in the movie, um, which one? First Contact. You know, he's the captain. We're going to follow him. We're going to we're going to fight this to the end. Like it was no question. Dave was thinking the same thing. She kind of liked Lily from First Contact. Now, I, I like Lily a lot better than Pulaski. I'll admit, Lily's one of my favorite one-off characters. I think oh, she was my shit. favorite when we did that list on Locutors. Oh, but, man. Uh, you from the Eastern Alliance? Yeah, Great character. She's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I guess we know your vote on this, Adam. So. Blow up the damn shit, All right, Captain. let's... You <laughs> broke your little you broke ship. Your little ship. Yeah, that's yeah. A good um, oh, right. yeah. Let's try this last one. Then. This last All right, one. what's our third? One, what's our final third probe here. here. Should the Federation have been able to win the peace against the Dominion? This is the thing that bugs me the most, I feel like, about Deep Space Nine, which is not many things, because I love everything about Deep Space Nine. So this is as bugged as I can get. But it bothers me a little, because it's not 
the Federation, isn't that not their whole thing? Like, are they not, because if you're the Klingons, for example, you're always set up to win the war. Even if you're not at war, you're just preparing yourself to win a, a hypothetical war. So, like, that's what they're designed sure. to do. But it's the Federation not designed to win the peace. They have ambassadors everywhere. They have peaceful alliances all over the place. So they don't really have that many enemies. I mean, I guess the the ones they do have kind of make winning the peace the most problematic. Um, but to me, it just seems like that's something they should have been able to do. Like, to Dominion, it should even to the Federation's enemies, it should seem like way worse than the Federation you would think, at least an unknown quantity, which should give you some pause, right? I don't know, it just always bothered me. I feel like they should well, have won I, that piece. I suppose the interesting question arises there of how or why didn't they? You know? Um, like, and it seems to me that, like... People. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, well, uh, like, it, just, it, it's, it seems to me that one of the reasons the Federation isn't able to win the peace is because they can't exert sufficient diplomatic influence over Cardassia to effectively prevent their alliance with the Dominion. And that's really what tips the scales into a situation where they have to declare war, right? Because they know that now that the Cardassians are Dominion allies, the Dominion is just going to bring more and more and more and more ships through the wormhole into Cardassian space until they can launch an all-out assault on everyone around them. Uh, I'm saying all it took was for one, one half sizable power to go against them, and it kind of just screws them over as far as the peace. Um, like the Cardassia's alignment with the Dominion, because it gives well, them it, ultimately the Dominion turns Cardassia into a proxy, right? And simply pumps weapons and troops and ships and resources in there, while sitting comfortably on the other side of a wormhole, right? The trouble for the Federation, I think, is that by the time they realize that they have you know a huge problem the sheer depth of the the dominion's control over the gamma quadrant you know is only really glimpsed and that's enough that they can lose a fleet in the wormhole and still think yeah we should probably keep sending more people you know um Cousin Dave says the Dominion's objective was to conquer the Alpha Quadrant. I don't see how you negotiate when one's intent is unconditional domination. So I should clarify. So by win the peace, in the context that it's mentioned in the episode, that's where uh, Cisco says mm -hmm. if we're, we're losing the peace, so maybe a war is our only hope. Um, it's not about making peace with the Dominion. But in that episode, Cisco's like, the longer we're at peace... With the, with the Dominion, the more inroads they seem to be making with other species mm -hmm. in the Alpha and Beta Quadrants. So it, it's that piece. 
that I feel like the Federation should have been able to won. Like, if you if you call it ceasefire with the Dominion, because they were already having skirmishes in some mm-hmm. measure before, before that. The longer that ceasefire goes, to me, that should benefit the Federation. They should be able to win that piece. It shouldn't be the Dominion that's now convincing the Zen Kathy to join them, and then convincing the whoever else, the Qatarians or whoever. They got quite a few people on side just through peaceful negotiations, like out piecing the Federation. And to me, that's well, a what, huge failure from the Federation. They're well, I, that thing. I think I think it, it, it behooves us to ask in that regard, then, what sort of negotiations does the Dominion undertake? Just, How does a Vorta negotiate? Well, we've seen some of you that. Know, uh, he just they just tell, they just butter you up and tell you what you want to hear until they can't and then they get very stern and threatening. Right? It's kind of the Vorta stuff. Uh, so so Davin, if just I can like the Federation interject <laughs> here is that I think yeah. that Star Trek is being really uh well they, they show us their, their flaws and that's the Admiralty. And, and you, you yeah. have a a group of people that you know every, somebody in that group wants war all the time. It seems like there's somebody mm-hmm. who, and, you know, as much as the Federation may have wanted the peace, I, I think when you have factions or self-interested people or whatever it might be, you know, whether it be weapons producers or, and you're, you mentioned the Klingons before, you know, I, they would like nothing more than go to war. Like, I'm sure they're disappointed. Oh, damn, a peace has been negotiated. Oh, we didn't get to have one fight. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, so so inherently you have glorious death. Yeah, you have uh, you have cultures or or worlds in the in the federation or just individuals who just have an uh, interest in pushing that that direction forward. And I, I think it, no, not everybody would want the peace. I think even those who didn't want who didn't actively want war would be at a disadvantage in some sense, like a a, a deliberate chosen disadvantage to the Dominion. Like you know, your 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 Picard or Spock diplomatic types, uh, because Federation diplomacy insists on not coercing people. Right, the Federation refuses to insist on its own way, except under very 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 specific circumstances, and that's normally if you've chosen to shoot at them first. Uh, and even then, they still don't necessarily they, like, do it. Or if you ask the Marquis if they they make an armistice with somebody and they just draw a line and you happen to be on the other side of it. They draw a hard line on you there. They'll insist you leave your planet. Oh, yeah. What was it? Like that that was after or... the end of uh, a lot of negotiations at the end of the Cardassian border wars. Yeah. And sure, I mean, it's not that these problems, these things don't make a difference. I guess what I mean is I'm saying the the general tendency of Federation diplomacy tends to be to not insist on their own way first off, right? And the Dominion's plan right out of the gate is always to sort of be negotiating essentially in what you could call bad faith. Whereas the Federation is always going to try and come in in good faith for the most part, unless there's a bad admiral behind it or something like that who's messing up the thing. The Vorta are literally coming in planning to get you over a barrel, you know? Um Oh, for sure. And that means that they're going to find ways to put pressure on people, I think, that are that are different. You know, the, the Dominion would use economic hitmen 
uh, in ways that I think the Federation would not be uh, willing to allow itself or would take itself to task and court-martial the Admiral who used them. (laughs) (laughs) Right right, when they try to use Ensign Roe or those sorts of things, right? Uh, Yeah. Because in days, uh, as Dukat changed the game when they lost the peace with Cardassia because they tipped the balance. Now, is it is it perhaps, like, just for argument's sake, now say uh, the Dominion was actually making inroads politically and without the threats, just based on these other species' perceptions of the Federation. Because, like, say, either way, you have two huge, powerful entities jockeying for your... Just alignment, I guess. It, like that's all the mm-hmm. Dominion's going to say. We just want you on side, and you can go on being yourself. Just you know, give us our whatever they want, like some measure of mm-hmm. compensation for being part of the Dominion. Like they'll probably want resources and maybe some soldiers. Who knows? Probably not soldiers. They make those, so they probably just want right. resources when they need them. Like that's probably when like the Dominion calls on. Yeah, uh, they're kind of conquered planets just when they need something particular from them i would assume but like the federation if you join them it comes with a certain level of cultural assimilation like what we see in federation worlds become more kind of generic federation worlds more so than if you were to join the minion and they promise to just leave you alone and just give us resources you're gonna have to give resources to the federation if you join them too but again, it comes along mm-hmm. with, if, if you're more, perhaps a more xenophobic race, you might find the Dominion legitimately preferable to the Federation. The and Federation the Breen certainly seems for that, right? Like root beer. Yeah, the right. Breen, sure. And that would certainly yeah, be, I think that would be an excellent diplomatic entry for Vorta with the Zenkethi or the Cardassians or the Breen, you know? Uh, it's not that they mean it, but that's going to be an excellent opening for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think i mean there'd be a great sales pitch to be made right that the federation's way of doing things does demand you know you can't do any slavery anymore you have to have a united world government you can't go attacking your neighbors and all that sort of stuff uh you generally have to try and it be, to be what the romulans hate the most about them those qualities like you have to have a democracy you think the romulans could make peace with the federation like they're similar enough but it's just like there's certain things they just really find sour about the federation yeah absolutely like, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. even the political structure they have a senate ruled by, ruled by a praetor you know it's, it's a very yeah. different yeah. yeah 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 well should we answer this question hmm. it's interestingly phrased right because well uh, i guess that's why i had to i suppose i've been almost answering like could the federation have been able to win the peace, but uh, well, is that the better? Uh, question? Yeah, should the Federation have been able to win the peace? Uh, yeah, the Federation. but uh, you know that is a good question. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, honestly, well, I they should have. One answers yes. the other. If, if they could, then they sh- perhaps they should have. But um, yeah. Could they but they wouldn't, so they could. To me, it I seems guess, like yeah. to me, it seems like yes. I feel like there was this, or maybe seem that maybe not. Maybe because of that cultural assimilation element, they just never stood a chance in that way. 
with with those certain species that weren't already Federation members, or they would have joined already, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a lot of those planets have been in contact with Federation a long time, and if they were had never had the inclination to join, there must be a very very strong reason. So maybe well, and this may not be the moment doomed. they're going to do it either when somebody else is making them a different offer. Uh, and has giant crazy spaceships uh, coming along behind them to demonstrate their point. Yeah. Yeah. Because Dave says they won the peace when they won the war. Well, fair point. (laughs) I don't think you can call it peace at that point. Um, Well, they maybe achieved a peace in the end, yeah. Jeez, I've almost changed my own mind on this one. You guys go first. (laughs) Freeze <laughs> oh, it whoever you like, could or should. Whatever makes more sense to you. Uh... I'll go. I, I the answer is no. I, I think that within the Federation themselves, you just give never mind the Dominion. It just just the, the the structure of the Federation doesn't allow for one like it's a democracy, as I said before. I mean, you know, mm. Rules have chances to vote. It's just you have too many paths that can be somebody's gonna work against you. I don't think they can ever win that way. You don't think they are as specialized for this kind of political outreach not, as maybe they claim to be? Not when it's against the board, sure. It's a very you know, mm-hmm. black or white situation. But here, I, you know, I, as Dave said, you know, you got races that would politicians like to be, on the other side too yeah. like to be ruled that way. Yes, we'll, we'll take. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, I was going to go with the other one, but you, I've, I've changed my mind during this debate. I agree with you, Adam. I don't, I don't, I think they were sort of doomed in that regard. I think I in some ways, yeah, they, they <laughs> their whole habit sort of means that if they don't choose to be doomed in that piece, then they're not really the Federation anymore, right? Because ultimately, even their member planets have a guaranteed right to secede if they wish, right? And that's part of what makes it a free and democratic federation. Uh, yeah, I suppose they kind of have to go to war or they cease to be the federation at that moment, which well, is an insane uh, place to find themselves. It really is. But, you know, a war, you have a common goal, you have a common enemy. Like, uh, Win the peace to means you're making concessions. You know, you, you, hmm. you're... Or being very, very... Um... <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Jesus, late. Um, um, persuasive. Sure. I think they're making concessions yeah. that couldn't couldn't tolerate some some federation worlds couldn't tolerate some concessions that were probably being made. And yeah, that, that's that's mm-hmm. certainly an mm-hmm. internal dynamic that Dominion doesn't have to deal with at all. Yeah, they don't have to. No, that's for sure. There are many different arms. Um, which is a huge advantage. No. <laughs> I mean, you could, yeah. I wouldn't want to. Well, live strategically that, that way, yeah. Really, but it, but yeah, it's a huge advantage. Yeah, it gives them uh, a huge you, ability did, logistically. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, answer this one, Dave? Um, I think ultimately my answer has got to be they shouldn't have been able to win it because uh, they're the federation, and that's kind of how their structure works. Yeah. Yeah. They, in fact, aren't designed to win the piece, we've decided here. Not this particular piece, yeah. yeah. Not this particular piece, you're right. Like, they can win the piece yeah. 
you know, other people's minds against the Klingons, maybe, or the Borg, or like sure. But uh, this one is this one is yeah, that was way out of their league. Yeah. All right. So some good probes there, fellas. Indeed. I well, I, I I feel it was thorough and rigorous. Quite rigorous. Class L Probe is a science division show of Live Long and Podcast. We do lots of... This was quite scientific, I think, here. Live Long and Probecast. Ah! Ooh! Ooh! Ooh, that's a good one. All right. Find find us on Live Long and Probecast on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, wherever you get your Probecasts. Um... Contact us. Here's a track and Gmail. Oh, um, seek out Magnus Carlson for all your probecasts. <laughs> <laughs> Find the audio only version wherever you get your podcast. Probecast. So oh, I almost messed it up again. And we are oh, a proud man. member of the United Federation of Probecasts. Um, they're probecasts until this show's over tonight. And then they can go back to being podcasts. Um, we have, uh, uh, well, what we do here, we do Tutors of Trek stuff. Here on Live Long and Podcast. We're going to do that failures episode soon, Dave. Maybe this week. Oh, yeah. Week. Yeah. Let's get we it get going. A, we get a structure for it now. We're a little We've far so far ahead. failed to get it done, but we'll get her done now. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, you know, there we are. Look at that. There's Adam there. There's Dave with his happy pistol. There's happy phaser yep. there. <laughs> it's the happiest phaser on board. We're all there. Yeah, you know, we have the command division where they review shows. Adam, what's happening over there? Well, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus, uh, hiatus, you know, over the last couple of weeks for the holidays. So we are starting with season three, episode one uh, of, um, oh my gosh, Enterprise, uh, Monday night at eight o'clock. So we're looking forward to getting into that and seeing how Kevin Millar is liking this. Pardon? Yes, the Zindi are now down in I, I, oh, I, Jacksonville. I, oh, Tampa. <laughs> Tampa was not hit. Neither was Jacksonville. It was right down the middle. Orlando was the only city. Oh, Orlando was the only oh, one. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Is that where, is that where Trip Dang sister yeah. was living? Orlando? Yes. Yeah. She, or Gainesville okay. or somewhere like that, you know, or down the middle. So. Uh, okay. But, which it, it still to this day, I, you know, they say 7 million people were killed in this. That's. But there's barely, like, if you look at the population of Florida, it's all on the coastline. It's not in the middle. No, but if you keep, it went Hold all on. the way down to Argentina. Yes. Across Cuba, which doesn't have that many people. When it goes to Brazil, does in No, it just touched the top of Argentina. Brazil. It didn't, it, I, yes, maybe, but it didn't hit Brazil. It went to Argentina. No. Just because Argentina's no. on the top of the, you know. Well, that would be Venezuela. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Venezuela is. So anyway, it just touched South America, whatever, whatever country that is. It didn't didn't go into like Rio de Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro or anything like that. Yeah. So maybe oh, the population's higher uh, in the future. maybe in maybe people found a Florida way to live area. in the middle of Florida in the summer, which would be amazing. <laughs> Good God, domes! It's just do- domed arcologies. That's it. Domes <laughs> surrounded by alligators and invasive ball yeah. pythons. Exactly. They've yeah. drained the swamp. <laughs> drained the swamp. It's a whole Disney world. <laughs> <laughs> so and we have the observation where we uh, use Star Trek Radio Theater, and uh, they're also doing Deep Space Nine over there. The Command Division, right now. yeah, that's back from Hiatus, I believe. As well, I, I was uh, rewatching. Oh, be on the stars next week. Check that out. Say yeah. what? I was rewatching uh, Strange New Worlds this weekend, 
And I've done oh, yeah? it for like three so episodes. It's so it is good. so good. It's still, you know, watch, I've only watched it once. So this is now, I'm just like seeing everything I didn't see the first time. And, uh, and I'm happy to say that comes back in May, season two. Oh right on. Very happy. Right on. Reviewing that for sure. And, you know, as you saw, we have a science division, which you just saw a show of. And a little cuter subject. Well, that's all what's going on there. But I have the X-Men X-rated X-rated the X-Men animated review show with my co-host Andre. We talk about the X-Men animated review show, or show from the 90s and interview people involved with that show. Andre has the Graphic Histories podcast where he interviews all kinds of people from comics, movies, film, all kinds of stuff. Movies and film are similar, but not the same. I don't know. Anyway, hold up. I should know because I have a movie podcast. It's called Hold Up. These segues or segues are sloppy, but they're working. Um, <laughs> we have an episode on politics coming up. Cousin Dave's going to join us on that. I think Murphy just chimed in about that in the comments. Actually, he's watching the American President right now, and it makes him sympathize with Sisyphus. Cousin Dave says it's a great movie. Murphy, I haven't watched it yet, so we'll find out. Cousin Speaking Dave, of lack of very... democracy, by the way. Americans. Yeah, they're kidding. Oh, well. <laughs> this week is being Who needs a speaker of those? Um, oh, man. <laughs> should just, like, they should have just been playing the Yakety Sax the whole week, honestly. <laughs> should have had a cool, funny music playing in the background. Super Major Brothers podcast, they review reality shows. Uh, yeah, that's what they do. Oh, we did the Marvel uh, recap on there over there as well. The Mary Mater Marvel Society. Check that out. MCU 2022 recap. Check out KBBBL. We do that every Friday. We review the Simpsons episodes. We're starting at the beginning and we're going until it gets bad. We're on season one, episode seven. Oh, it's been fun. We throw little science segments into there, little philosophy segments. There's all kinds going over there. We we give beer. Companies free sponsorship, lots of stuff like that. Yeah, trivial debates. Also check that out. There's one coming up on reality shows. They're going to debate things about reality shows. I will not be involved in that particular episode. Me neither. <laughs> Should they stop? <laughs> yes, that's why we don't go. <laughs> it was on the last one though. Check it out. See how I did. Uh, and then also the Hellbound podcast, a horror movie podcast with Alex Blackburn and Michael Chan. Definitely check that out as well. That's all our many podcasts in our mighty federation. For now. For now. Look at that. Beautiful. You know, we're working on merch. We're working on a website. It'll all be up soon. You can get your UFP merch here soon. I know you're all aching for it. So, we'll, we'll, we'll soothe still that. Heart. that. Yes, exactly. You know I love to wear, right, you know, stuff. So, I, I'll be wearing that. Oh, yeah. See, wouldn't that be a sweet UFP one right there? Yeah. In that right yeah. spot oh, man. On, on Adam. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think so. I think so. All right. Let's get at it. Add Astra fellas. per Aspera. Really great. All right. Well, in that case, end transmission. Let's launch a probe into it. We should destroy the probe. Phasers are armed and ready.